Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bellow. Romans chapter 1 verse, verse 16. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So can we say this together? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto how men are saved. Right? So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the method to saving men. The gospel of Jesus Christ is is the trick, not the trick, well per se, but is the wisdom to which how men are saved. I think I said trick because Satan was very ignorant of it. I said trick because Satan was very ignorant of it. Are you still here? I said trick because Satan was very ignorant of it. He didn't know how God was actually going to save mankind. You know, the, the devil actually thought that salvation will come from God exhibiting strength. God showing how powerful he is. Satan actually thought that when it comes to saving mankind, um, there will be some some dropping down of a kind of being that might be angelic and human at the same time looks all that he comes with crown on his head he comes with glory and power and then he now declares to the Jews I am here sent by God to save all of you and to the whole world but that's, that's not how God saved man how God saved man is the coming of a baby that was born in a manger that could easily be missed and despised at the time. But if you let that baby grow, that baby will end up being the one who would fulfill the law and at the same time um, pay the price for sin and put justice on his shoulders and therefore mankind is saved. Um, that before the crown they will be going through the cross. That was the wisdom of God. That Satan didn't know that the cross would be vital to the salvation of man. So he was okay for the fact that Jesus could go to the cross. But you see, that cross was the wisdom of God to save mankind. That if Jesus would go through that cross and die, um, the entirety of mankind would be completely saved as long as they put their faith in the one who died. I mean, such wisdom. This thing is called the foolishness of men. When you preach the gospel, it's called the foolishness of the cross. Because how can you say what is weak, what seems to be base, what seems to be designed for criminals, is the very source to which the power of God will flow to salvation. Satan didn't see that card. So he didn't get it quite right. He just didn't know that God was going to nail sin, death, and hell to that cross. And when he did, 
everybody who puts faith in Christ has become saved today. And you and I can stand boldly to say we're believers or we're born again because of what Jesus did on the cross. I went on to say something in the morning that there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Of which the Old Testament is not... Amen. This is going to be like a class. Amen. I hope you don't mind. Because I, I think it's important that we learn and we, we come to the place to not, not just be emotional about service or church all the time, but that we, we take in word and, and we're knowledgeable about this thing that we preach. Amen. Um, I mentioned about the Old Testament and New Testament and the difference in that the Old Testament is not necessarily about the Old Testament page of the Bible and the New Testament is not the New Testament page of the Bible. The Old Testament is the agreement to how God saves man or how God deals with man today. And that agreement is obsolete and the New Testament is how God deals with men today. And every testament, testament means covenant, right? Testament means Old Testament, New Testament. Do you remember that small New Testament Bible we had put at our back? <laughs> Anytime I talk about that Bible, I remember something. The first time I went for a party in my life, in secondary school, that was our graduation. Because I felt I was so saved, and I didn't want to mingle with the things of the world, I carried that small Bible and put it at my back pocket and went to party with it. So that anything that happens, I'll just remember there's a Bible in my pocket. But guess what? That was just unnecessary self-righteousness. I'm telling you. You know, whether you have a Bible under your pillow doesn't mean Satan won't press you. <laughs> he will press you and bypass the Bible. There is the Bible in your heart that matters, right? Uh, some of you, when you describe how you were pressed, you know, you know that, that thing, you think you're the only one. Actually, everybody has gone through almost similar story. That's why you hear it, you're like, it's true. You know how you want to say Jesus, you can't. Jesus. Has it happened to anybody here? You see what I'm saying? You see? <laughs> Even those who are not saying yes, they are just forming as if they were born in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> or sometimes when you're sleeping and, and you just see... Things are just pushing. You are just running. You are just running. Then after a while, you even start to fly. Have you? Then there's one you'll be falling from something. Then when you wake up, your stomach will just be... <laughs> you'll, be you'll be falling from a high cliff. As if it's bottomless pit. Well, you know, I came to realize that the real bottomless pit is God's love. That one is, that's the real bottomless. You can't fall out of it. Amen. So, I was talking about the New Testament, right? Every testament is ratified by blood. So the Old Testament is ratified by the blood of bulls and goats, while the New Testament is ratified by the blood of Jesus. Right? And it is that blood that reenacts the covenant... So God is not working with us based on the old covenant again. Why do I say so? When you sin, or if you make a mistake, have you ever brought a goat to church before? For Pastor Phil to take the blood and speak on your behalf to God, has it ever happened? No, because 
were not under the old covenant. A lot of people who want to practice the law don't even understand that the requirements of the law, if you are to do it, there's a way it will be. You have to, in fact, those who sell sheep, goats, they will make more money in this dispensation than even, because everybody needs goat per day. You need a sheep per day to bring to the priest. When you made the last mistake you made or you committed a sin, you didn't think about the goat. What did you do? You just trusted that God has forgiven you. And that's because somebody else's blood is speaking. So we're not under the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. If you're reading the Old Testament parts of the scripture, you can actually read the Old Testament bringing out the New Testament from there. Because the New Testament, like I said, is not about the pages of the scripture, but it's about the spirit of the text. It's about the spirit. As long as that veil is in front of you, you are under the Old Testament, even though you are reading Ephesians. But if that veil is taken away, what is the veil? The veil is the thing that stops you from seeing Christ. Was that veil is taken from you, and you're able to see Christ in all the scriptures, then that's a New Testament mind or believer. So if you're reading Exodus, Joshua, uh, the prophets, Isaiah, Joel, as long as you can see Christ in it, as long as you can hear a message that is preached, and from the preaching of that message, right, all you can see is Christ and Him crucified. That's the New Testament. There are some pastors who would preach a fantastic sermon and not even talk about Jesus and Him crucified. You can actually preach aeronautics from Scripture. You can preach politics from Scripture. You can teach anything. But if Jesus is not the core, right, we are not scratching the essence of the Scripture. So Christ's God, He has to be the core of our teachings. He has to be the center of our preaching. That's a New Testament believer. So, the Gospel series is one of those topics, right, I'll call it a topic now, that is actually very doctrinal. You know, doctrine, let me explain doctrine to you. When you hear the word doctrine, Doctrine is that thing, is that conversation that we all have to agree on. That's what makes it a doctrine. But it can be an exhortation or sharing your revelation, but not necessarily a doctrine, because everybody can have liberty on certain things. People can have ideas or different angles to how they see a particular scripture. Right? That's different. But when you say doctrine... We all must be unified on the issue of that doctrine or that matter. So when we say the gospel, the fact that we say gospel doesn't mean that when you preach from the Bible, you are preaching the gospel. No. You can actually preach from the Bible and be very far from the gospel. So it is my objective that we all learn what the gospel really is. When you hear what is not the gospel, you would know. No matter how nice and who is saying it. Because there are people who are sincerely wrong. 
Right? And, and it's not even a matter of I've been in the faith for a long time. You can be in the faith for a long time and not know the gospel. So it's important that we know the gospel. I was saying in the morning that if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 15 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, wherein you've also received, as which you stand upon. I like the message version. It says, let's go over this message one more time. It says, let's go over the message one more time. Now, I don't know if I have time to do this, but from, from chapter 12, not 15 now, but from chapter 12, Paul wrote and said, concerning spirituals, right? I have you not to be ignorant of them. But you will see gifts in brackets after spirituals. So many of us thought that he was just talking about spiritual gifts. So he went to say concerning spiritual gifts. If you see the King James Version, the original King James Version, you will see that word gifts is in brackets, it's in italics. Alright, good. You see, you see that gift in bracket means that it was not there in the original text. That the translators added the word gifts so that it makes sense to the reader. They're just trying to help understanding, but it wasn't there. So this is how the original will read. It says, now concerning spiritual, brethren, I would have not you ignorant. Then he goes on to talk about the spiritual things from chapter 12 to chapter 15. And when the Bible was written, there was nothing like chapter 12, chapter 13. It was a continuous text. Do we, do we understand that? So... Um, you see that spiritual gifts is the beginning of the conversation. But when he got to the end of the conversation, as regarding the gospel, how Jesus died, he was buried, he rose, that is the conversation. So how it is broken down, chapter 12, chapter 13, now chapter 14 for us, is that you can actually get chapter 12 and miss chapter 15. That you have a pastor who is very gifted when it comes to spiritual manifestations. Like prophecy, you see all the nine gifts of the Spirit. Do we remember the nine gifts of the Spirit? This is not our subject, but do you remember? The utterance gifts, the power gifts, and the revelational gifts. The utterance gifts, speaking in tongues, what? Interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. That's the utterance gifts. Then the power gift, we have... The gift of faith, the gift of working of miracles, and the gift of healings. Actually, the gifts of healings. There's an S to that gift. So the gifts of healings. Because there are many kinds of sicknesses. Then the revelational gifts. We have word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discernment of spirits. Those are revelational gifts. So somebody can be so gifted with healings, that when he heals you, you are tempted to believe everything he says. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it doesn't mean he gets chapter 15. He just has a gift for healing. That's so, And you know we humans, we have the tendency to believe when there is proof. As long as there is a result, we just believe what you are saying. Anything the person says is true. 
Or somebody calls your number. I see, I see. You're wearing a red shirt inside you. You open. Ah, it's red. Now tells you there's so so and so amount of money in your bank account. Or he tells you you are with so so and so. That's word of knowledge. He begins to manifest the gift of the Spirit. And you're tempted to. Anything the guy tells you, yes, my Lord, yes, my Lord. If at that time he's now Lord. That's what happened to the woman who was talking to Jesus at the well. So what fellowship do we as Samaritans have with you? After a while, Jesus started breaking her. When he broke her, she said, I perceive you are a prophet. First breaking. <laughs> you, you now hear him say, you have been with five men before. There is one who is there now. Before you know it, she now moved from, I perceive you are a prophet, to sir. The respect is increasing as word of knowledge is manifesting. <laughs> Do you understand? So, you know, you just naturally find it easy to believe what people who have the gift of the Spirit say, say to you. So, whilst we thank God for their gifts, we must also hear and judge what is being said. Am I talking to people here? So that you don't get chapter 12... And miss chapter 15. Chapter 13 talks about love, character. Like I said in the morning, many of us had mentors. We had people who groomed us. These were good people who taught us how to pray. We had some of us were parents, right? Who taught us how to do morning devotion, how to seek God's face, how not to retaliate when they insult you, how just to be a good child, just be a good soul. But you see, the message of the gospel, they couldn't teach you because they didn't know it. So chapter 13 makes us see that you can have character, but if you miss chapter 15, you're just a good man who doesn't know the gospel. But if you know the gospel, you must be a good man. So someone is saying that, oh, Pastor Phil, why is it that God will heal people when they don't understand the doctrine of the gospel? It's because his gifts are without repentance. And God wants to bless you so much that regardless of how prepared and, and how understanding the pastor is or how not understanding of the gospel the pastor has. I don't know. What I said is rubbish in my head. But do you understand what I'm saying? Whether the pastor doesn't understand the gospel but he has a gift, God will use it. Why? Because he wants to reach people. Somebody might have chapter 14. You have administration, you have church government, you are the general overseer of a big ministry, and that ministry has 24 branches just in Abuja. 600 branches across Africa. You see, as I'm saying these things, there are ministries like this. I'm not here to castigate any ministry. I'm not here to say we know better, because we, we actually came... <laughs> We have our own journey. And there was how we got here. So this message of the gospel is important. That when somebody opens the Bible, hear what is being said and ask yourself, is this the gospel? So when you can decipher Christ and Him crucified, that's the gospel. I hope you know there's a difference between the raw Jesus and the roasted Jesus. I can talk about Jesus right now and if all I say about Jesus is 
the place of you trying to be like Jesus without coming from the place of what he has made you already to become so that I'm getting you to be in a certain way without telling you Christ has made you already like this so live up to who you are that's preaching raw Jesus I don't know if you understand what I'm saying if I tell you live the way Jesus lived and be like Jesus without telling you that because of Jesus' death he has made you like him so therefore be like him do you see the difference so one is trying to get you to do something to become that's that's raw Jesus that's that's the legalistic system another one is trying to say that you have already become so begin to live it that's the difference so therefore the cross of Jesus now is the difference between is the demarcation between the Old Testament and the New Testament do we understand it Okay. I said something earlier that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the grace of God. So don't fall prey to conversations of when you hear people say, these people who are now preaching grace, or these people who are now teaching grace. No, the gospel is the grace of God. Grace is not wage. There's a difference between grace and wage. When you work in the office, you're not giving grace at the end of the month. When you work in the office, what you are giving is a wage because you worked. But for somebody who has not worked, hasn't done anything, doesn't qualify for anything, and the person is given a gift, that's grace. So therefore, grace is, what, is getting what you don't deserve. That's grace unmerited favor if I say this with me grace is unmerited favor Acts 20 verse 24 Acts chapter 20 verse 24 but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my cause with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify let's read that last phrase together once ago to testify the gospel of the grace of God that's not all of us let's say that all of us together once ago to testify the gospel of the grace of God to testify the gospel of what the grace of God so what does that mean the gospel is the same thing as what the grace of God alright do we get it so the gospel, when we talk about the grace of God, we're saying the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. Let's interchange the word gospel and the grace of God now. For I am not ashamed of the grace of God, for the grace of God is the power of God unto salvation. Do we understand that? Alright, Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. Alright, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that... Let's read it together, everybody. One to go. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you 
into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Look at your neighbor and say, don't fall prey to another gospel. Do we understand it? So, so, so you can be in church and be within the mindset of another gospel. And you are still in church. You are serving, you are giving, you are doing everything that you, you possibly could do, but you are actually in another gospel. If I, you can be mightily used by God and be in another gospel. But in the real sense of the word, there is only one gospel. I, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. There is only one gospel, and that gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul here uses the word another gospel to show you that what he's talking about is not what you are saying. So this one is another gospel. It's just like, um, I don't have an example to use. Next verse, let me show you. Verse 7. Yeah, because he said another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert The gospel of Christ. Tell your neighbor, protect your heart. That you don't get perverted. Right? From the gospel of Christ. Let's see the next verse. But though we are an angel from heaven. Right? Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed see Paul is saying that even me who have taught you the gospel if I come back next year and say something else don't, don't receive me because he was so confident in what he received because what he received was the gospel he knew that people, people were coming to the church to be saying all manner of things at this time, people were saying there was no resurrection of the dead, of which that beats the gospel. People were saying different kind of things that Jesus Christ, right? The Gnostics began to come in to spread false doctrine to the body of Christ. And the major Gnostic belief is the fact that Jesus did not really have a physical body. So they, they felt that Jesus Christ was not human and that that already beats the fact that he had a blood to share you know uh, to, to be shed on the cross that automatically also says that there was no one who could take our place so that we can take the place of god or take the place of divinity because if god didn't have anybody human to die for us right then how can men be saved so they said that matter is matter spiritual things are spiritual things the belief of the Gnostics, just perverting the people of God. I personally believe that when Paul said there was a thorn in the flesh, that he prayed for three days, or he prayed three times, I mean, for God to take away that, and God didn't, and then he heard a word and said, my grace is sufficient for you. I personally believe that that thorn in the flesh was false teachers. That it were people whom he knew that came into the church to teach and counter what he was saying. And that's why he wrote to the Galatian church, right? I marvel, right, that somebody is coming to teach you stuff and you are turning into a different gospel. 
in this generation, now TSP, hear me. In the age where we live, there's so many doctrines that will fly around. And in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to hear many new religions springing forth that will support human existence, that will be things that will satisfy the flesh, things that will make you feel this is the right way to go. Let us stay with the gospel of Jesus. <laughs> Let's stay with the gospel of Jesus. Praise God. So go back to verse... Are we in verse 8 now? Let's see if there's anything in verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. Let's see verse 10. For, I, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Glory to God. So, I start right now, um, for those of you who are here, the conversation of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the ability to stand before God without the sense of I mean, inferiority, guilt, shame. It's for you to go on your knees to pray. And the first thing you're, you're thinking about is how unqualified you are. That's someone who hasn't gotten the idea of righteousness. By way of introduction, let me say this. that After I have taught on righteousness, you will come to become very humble, number one. And number two, you would also have confidence at the same time. Amen. Say amen, somebody. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that, is that revelation that will bring humility and confidence in one person. That yet you're so humble, but at the same time you're confident. It makes you humble because you know, having learned righteousness... This thing called righteousness is not a function of you. It's not a function of what you've done. It's not a function of how you are. And I was saying in the morning how there are people who just have a sense of I'm better than you. Without even saying it. You just, you just, you just size people up and just feel that you're better than somebody. Nobody is better than anybody. What you wear doesn't make you better than somebody. Who is, if the person is not wearing designers, you're wearing designers. doesn't mean that you are better. You only have more money. But it doesn't mean you are better. You know, people use where they work today to... You're not where you work. You're not even the car you drive. You know, people even use their network, their association. You are, you're more, you feel there's a sense of, I am good enough because of who you know. And because of who knows you. Whether you know the high and the mighty, or you don't know the high and the mighty, doesn't make you less than people who are in power. Or who know the rich and the high and the mighty. There is no grounds for being better than somebody else. If you drive a very fancy car, 
as somebody is taking bike, doesn't make you better than that person. Say amen. amen. To the one who understands righteousness, righteousness to you brings a sense of humility because you know that you were made righteous not because of what you did, not because of what you achieved, but that righteousness is a gift. So you were gifted righteousness. I said in the morning that because you are a handsome man or you are a beautiful lady, doesn't make you feel more than someone who you think is not as fine as you are. Am I preaching this evening? Look at your neighbor. Say to the person, we're all on the same plane. God sees us the same. Is the truth of it's what we call the mercy seat. The mercy seat is that lead that covers the ark of the covenant in the holies of holies. There are no staircases on the mercy seat. There are no steps on the mercy seat that you become a very anointed man of God and therefore you are now on the higher echelon of the mercy seat. And then the one who is just a baby Christian. Do you know that a baby Christian is as righteous as the oldest believer? A baby Christian. When I mean a baby Christian, I mean the one who is still smoking and drinking. But he has received Christ. But you see, old habits is still having its way over that person's life. That person is not less righteous than you who have been in church for a long time. So you see this sense of I am more superior than you. I pray better than you. Let that not be your judge for saying I am more righteous. You know, when we understand righteousness, you would look at somebody who doesn't have as much as you have and regard and respect and honor the person. Because righteousness tells you that everything you have was a gift from God. You know, there's how a gifted person just has package and swag. You see somebody who has swag. In fact, the person's swag is making you swagless. Because when the person passes, you just, you just look at yourself, God, why? You start blaming God for something just because you see somebody else. The person has it all together. Has it all together. Have you seen people like that? That when you look at them, the next thing you do is to look at yourself. Have you seen that kind of thing? There's a cycle. It keeps going. It's a vicious cycle. As you look at yourself, you now look at the person, you now look at yourself. Your face becomes sadder as you keep doing that. Oh, there are fine people in this world, though. There are fine people in this world. That way, when they just pass, you just be wondering, What? God sat down well. To do this, you know, and then you begin to question God, why am I like this? <laughs> then you now begin to get angry with your parents, <laughs> especially your dad. He didn't see well or what. <laughs> or you look at somebody who is fair and you are dark, and then before you know it, you forget that it's the same blood that is red. That is passing through her vein. That is also passing through yours. The same blood of Jesus paid for yours and for us. You are complete the way you are. 
You are righteous. You are complete. There is, don't, don't, don't think. Hallelujah. Alright, so righteousness. Righteousness is first of all a nature before it's an action. So we don't do righteousness first. We are declared righteous before we do righteousness. So righteousness is first of all a nature before it's an action. Right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us. If you have that scripture, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Help me look at your neighbor. You were made righteous. Tell the other person, you didn't achieve it. You didn't keep a law to be righteous. Old Testament, you kept a law to have been righteous. But in the New Covenant, you don't keep laws to be righteous. And I'm going to say things this evening that would that break your theology. Let me just say now. Even when you fall into sin, you are still righteous. Say, Pastor, you are encouraging them to sin. No. This is the truth of the word. <laughs> you know, many of us don't know what God has done for us. See the scripture very well. He made him to be seen. Who is the him there? Jesus. What did Jesus do to be made sin? Did Jesus commit any sin to be made sin? So if Jesus did nothing to be made sin, likewise, you will not do anything to be made righteous. It made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Say with me, I'm the righteousness of God. Mm. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 25. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 25. Now let me explain how righteousness comes through the law. In the Old Testament. Look at it. It says, And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God. As he hath what? Commanded us. Next verse. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the blah blah blah. Next verse. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them, nor shew mercy unto them. The point is, it will be, put it back to that verse, that 625. The point is, it shall be, what? Our righteousness. Somebody say my righteousness. If I observe to do all these commandments of the Lord. So the Old Testament people were righteous because they did all the covenants 
all the commandments of the Lord. But in the New Testament, we don't have to do to be righteous. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Let's read this together, everybody. Want to go? But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness. So right now, who is our righteousness? Christ Jesus. Why is Jesus our righteousness? Because he has fulfilled all the requirements of the law. So therefore, Jesus has become my righteousness. Let's see Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Say this with me. I, 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 I don't get justified. What does it say? By the works of the law. No. But by what? The faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed. In Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. There is nobody who can be justified by keeping the law. So the question is why did God give the law? He gave the law that sin might abound. But the Bible says, where sin abound, grace abounds much more. So the purpose of the law was to show you the need for Jesus Christ. Many of us don't know what grace has done because we haven't seen the gravity of the impossibility to getting out of sin. That if, if you know nobody can pay for your sin... <laughs> I don't know about you, but growing up I knew that I was not going to go to heaven. I knew because I knew myself. If going to heaven was going to be about what I did, I would never make that heaven. See, Jesus will not come and meet any human being morally perfect. Including the one who is in Christ. Including the bishop, including the pastor. What did I say? He, Jesus won't come back the second time and meet anybody a hundred percent morally perfect. Because when we think about sin, we like to feel sin is about fornication, sin is about lying, sin is about stealing. <laughs> there is more than that to sin. Do you know the Bible says whatever is not done in faith is sin. As you are sitting down now, do you know how many things you haven't done in faith? For those of us who want to hold the letter and say, I will keep the rules to be perfect and accepted by God. If you do that, when you get to heaven's gate, they won't give you a visa. The Bible also says that to him who knows that good to do and doeth it not. To him that is sin. That is to your own standard though. Not another man. To him 
who knows what good to do and doesn't do it to, to that person, that sin. And I think about it. Some of us know the good things we're supposed to be doing, but we're not doing it. Scripture is not even saying, it's not even saying or talking about the bad things you do. He's saying the good things you are supposed to do that you don't do. If you don't do it, that's sin. First of all, I don't know if you are a hundred percent two four seven all year round, always in faith. I don't know if you are. Ha! You should be the bishop of the world. There's a picture and meaning of a pastor who was ordained directly by Jesus. <laughs> That's his ordination picture. <laughs> you know, and he snapped it. Drew Jesus well. He snapped it. Jesus laid hands on him. You are more than that person. You are more than that bishop. I don't know how many of you have done everything you desire to do that is noble and good. Most of us have procrastinated so many times in doing what is good. So that's what I'm telling you. Jesus will never come back meeting any human being morally perfect. So the question now is who will go to heaven? Who? Who will make heaven? If we were to look at the works of men to judge righteousness, who is going to make heaven? Nobody will make heaven. But for God not to carry last, he sent Jesus. God is always a step ahead of Satan. He sent Jesus and he said to him, you know what, this life these people are supposed to live and be righteous before they have access to me, you live it and be their righteousness. So when you read that scripture, which one is this? All right, right. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Thank you, Josh. Jesus became your righteousness. All you need to do is to put faith in him and therefore you are declared righteous. How did Paul address the church? He said, I write to the saints in Colossae. I write to the saints in Ephesus. I write to the saints in the Corinthian church. These were people that were reported to Paul who were doing nonsense in church. Some were getting drunk with communion. (laughs) They were shaking in the presence of God. And Paul wrote them and said, please, communion. Eat at home. Then take communion in church. Don't use the Lord's bread as your food. Those day me and my brother were in um, Church of God mission. And then the Bishop Biano said, that's the, the pastor who was serving us the communion. You know, the way they do their communion is they take a loaf of bread and they just pass it. The pastor passes it around you. And you have to use your church mind to cut small. Right? So, at that time, you will begin to test the appetite of different people from the cutting. You'll be... So, he takes the bread. So, you just see people. This one will cut small. He'll bring pinch small. You bring you pin small. <laughs> so I was sitting down here 
No, I was sitting here. My brother was here. He got to my brother. My brother was actually hungry that day. <laughs> He's not here, so I can, I can say all I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> that one, he didn't pinch the bread. He thought the bread. <laughs> so, not just... Not just... He, like, even the way the hand was. You will know that this bread, this bread, this bread will go finish. <laughs> not just dipped his hand inside the bread. Swap. Ha! The pastor looked at him. <laughs> you, know what, you know what the bishop said? The bishop looked at him. He now looked at me. You, 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 you. Collect your own. <laughs> Collect your own from him. <laughs> Collect your body of Christ from this man. This guy has your body of Christ. My brother started sharing to the robe. <laughs> oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> Paul wrote to those kinds of people who will not eat in the house. <laughs> Now use communion as their chow. Or wrote to people who the, the love of God has constrained them from drinking. Now the church herself <laughs> is, is the one giving you. You bless yourself. <laughs> but Paul wrote to those people and still addressed them as saints. Kyle. Your identity is stronger than your behavior. Your identity, who you are in Christ, is stronger than your behavior. So see, friends, it is about right believing before right doing. Don't think that I have to do right to become. No. He has made you righteous. Your consciousness of that righteousness is what actually makes you... You know, it's hard for you to, to fall... When you know who you are. But when you forget who you are. Forgetting what manner of man they were. Look at your neighbor and say, always remember you are righteous. Can I say another thing? <clears throat> Let us be more righteousness conscious than sin conscious. People who are sin conscious, you see, like the church has plagued people with sin consciousness. They say, we need to let the people know that they are in sin. <laughs> if we don't preach it, you say, no. It's not by preaching. Everybody knows that he's a sinner. Go to verse 22. Say, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? Keep going. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself. That is, he's conscious of who he is. Goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So people make mistakes because they forget who they are. When you remember who you are, you just automatically you become your preacher. No, I, this thing doesn't fit me. 
Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. He said, keep in memory. He said, keep in memory. That is, constantly remind yourself, I am righteous. The man who is always saying to himself, I'm righteous. The woman who is always saying to herself, I'm righteous. Look, in a matter of time, your past, it doesn't matter all the bad things you've done before. Those things will fade. Because the work of Satan is to make you feel that you are not righteous. I usually ask people this thing. If you sin, who did you sin against? Did you sin against the devil? So what concerns the devil? If you sin, who did you sin against? God. This God who is the judge is your dad. The Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin is saying that you are righteous. Can I show you that scripture? I shared it in the morning. That's John chapter 16 verse 8. John chapter 16 verse 8. Now Jesus telling the disciples when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. That's everybody who is in the world. The Holy Spirit is going to convict them of three things. And there are three categories of individuals the Holy Spirit is going to convict. But see, he will convict the world of sin. That's number one. What's the second one? Of righteousness, and was the third one of judgment? Then, no, go back. You see the colon there? The colon is to explain the next verse. Who is he convicting of sin? Who is he convicting of righteousness? And who is the Holy Spirit convicting of judgment? So let's see that in the next verse. He will convict the world of sin because they do not what? Believe in me. So this is clearly talking to sinners, to people who are not saved. The Holy Spirit is already telling the unbeliever, you are a sinner. This is my nurse, the pastor, who doesn't need to reiterate that. What the pastor or what we need to say to people who are not saved is God has forgiven you and your sins are forgiven. Come to God. That's our message. But the Holy Spirit begins to Hog in their heart. You are a sinner. So it's not your job. If I preach this with me, it's not your job to remind a sinner that he's a sinner. How, if, if it's not your job to remind sinners that they are sinners, how much more believers? Is it your job to now tell a believer you are you, you know gospel nomenclature? You don't even call a believer a sinner. That's the only problem I had with that song. It's a great song. We fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. That part is good. But when you now came to forest saint is just a sinner who fell down. No, a saint is not a sinner. A saint is a saint who fell. And got up. When you made a mistake, 
Did you stop being a son in your father's house? Because you did something wrong, you did not automatically become your brother's cousin. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So how, how is it that because you, you fell, automatically, right now, you are, you are not a, a believer again, you are not a child of God. In fact, to you who was sitting at the right hand of God, you just dropped first. You fell down from heavenly places. Bam! Then when you now confess your sin, you now go back up again. You know the kind of air traffic we will be causing? <laughs> this thing called forgiveness did not come because you prayed and said, Father, have mercy on me. Forgiveness came because Jesus died. Let's get it right. It's scriptural. It's a scripture. Forgiveness did not come because you said, Lord, I am sorry. Have mercy on me. That's not when forgiveness came. Forgiveness of sin came because the sacrifice paid for sin and God gave forgiveness. But at the point where you said, Lord, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. That is the moment where you receive already existing forgiveness. So somebody was saying, is it that we should not ask for forgiveness again when we pray? And my answer is very simple. There's a difference between saying, I'm sorry. And saying, provide forgiveness for me. Forgiveness is provided for. Doesn't mean you can't say, I'm sorry. So if you say, Lord, I'm sorry for this. I receive grace. Are you getting what I'm saying? Doesn't mean that forgiveness is not, it's a love relationship. It's just like hurting somebody you love. It's not as if the person has stopped loving you. And you will not say, because the person loves me. I won't say sorry. So you, say, you, you saying, Lord, I'm sorry about this, doesn't mean that you don't have forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin was not because you asked. It was because Jesus paid for it. If you put your faith in Christ, you already have it. When John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, for if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He was not talking to believers. He was talking to unbelievers. I don't have time for that. Ah, This is where we are, right? And when he was of sin because they do not believe in me. Next verse. Of righteousness, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. But which people in the world would he convict of righteousness? Those who are saved already. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. He's talking about them. He was talking to them. Not sinners. So the Holy Spirit will be the one telling you. In your mistake, in the middle of your mistake, he will keep telling you you are righteous. So... Distill the voices in your head. 
Anytime you begin to feel condemnation because of anything, just already know that that's not the Spirit of God. Say amen, somebody. Anytime you feel like your heart is judging you, or your heart is condemning you, you are feeling worthless because of something you've done, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will convict you, who is a believer, of righteousness. Not of sin. The one who does that to you is called the accuser of the brethren. That's the work of Satan. So Satan will come and begin to say to you, don't you know that you are a sinner? He will pack your history. He will give you, remind you of the dates. And you begin to speak the language of those accusations. Kai, oh, that day. If not for that day, I know where I would have been. That's not God, though. That's not God. It's not even about how you look. This is the reason why people don't have confidence in prayer. Because they feel if I pray, God will hear my prayer. They believe that if I stand before God, God will hear Pastor Phil's prayer quicker than he will hear my own prayer. Me? See the kind of life where they live. No. Hallelujah. Let's go to the next. Let's see who judgment comes to. Next verse. Of judgment because the ruler of this world, that's Satan, is being judged. So God will convict the world of three things. Number one, sin. Number two, what? Righteousness. Number three, what? Judgment. Who does it convict of sin? The unbelievers. Who does it convict of righteousness? The believer. Who, who is convicted of judgment? Satan. So, the Holy Spirit is ministering to three categories of people. Unbelievers, believers, and Satan is also receiving ministration. <laughs> From the Holy Spirit. Because Satan is reminded daily that this judgment is before you. You can't escape judgment. The lake of fire. Lake, like water, but of fire. <laughs> For eternity, Satan will born there. You know, I, I, I feel for people who, who don't accept the message of Christ. They don't realize that hellfire is real. And when the gospel is preached, it's preached out of love. But it's to prevent you from the wrath of God that is to come. If you are in Christ, you better thank God for yourself. That's not the kind of lake where you swim. You say you are a good swimmer. Even your armpit will be born. Your <laughs> How do you want to do it? Lake of fire. Lake of fire. You can't even jump to where? Lake of fire. And it's for eternity. Imagine people who don't know Christ that die. See, this is the reason, this is the reason why if you have relatives, cousins that don't know Jesus, pray for them. Pray for them. That guy who was there was saying, should I go to the earth and warn my brothers? Because life here is not pure. You understand? I need to go there. Pastor Adil said something that they won't even regard him if he came back. They will not have listened to him if he came back. It's not about coming back. You know how many people have said revelation of hellfire? When people die and their, their death is not cessation of life, 
Death is just separation from the body. That's what death means. A newborn baby in the uterus dies to the womb and comes to the outside. So death is separation. So when the baby is born, the baby is dead to the womb. It means the baby can't survive there anymore. The baby is pushed out. When, when people die, the reality of reality begins. And we don't need to get there first to realize it. So this thing we're saying righteousness is the more reason why you'll be more grateful to God. That if, if it was by my righteousness, there is no access to heaven. It is hellfire for all of us. It's not a matter of religion. I respect my faith. I respect your faith. See, there's a burden in your heart to get them saved. They don't know what is... The Bible says if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes from seeing the light of the glorious gospel. They don't understand what you are saying. It's not about my religion or your religion. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ. Romans chapter 9 verse 30. Romans chapter 9 verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness... If you have the NLT version, let's, let's use it so that we can, we, can, we can all properly understand it. So, can, can we all read it together? Okay, let's all read it together. Want to go, what does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. Next verse. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Next verse. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. Next verse. God warned them of this in the scriptures when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble. A rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Does this convince you that righteousness now is not by trying to keep law? You don't get righteous by trying to keep the law. We keep laws because we are already righteous. So it is, it is gift first that has become an empowerment to now do what is right. It is not you doing what is right to have the, 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 the righteousness. Because at that point it is no longer even a gift of righteousness. You understand what I am saying? So don't let anybody deceive you. Mm, I like this scripture. Galatians chapter 2. Let's check verse 21. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21. 
I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Look at your neighbor and say, please don't treat it as meaningless. You know, there, there are some people who, who think the grace, the grace message is, a, is one doctrine, is one talk. All these pastors. See, grace is the, see, the anchor of salvation is grace. It, it is grace. So it's not meaningless. It's, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. There's no need for Christ to die. If, if by keeping the law, we could be righteous, if one man could do it, God will instruct every other person, we are do it. As long as one person can do it. Can't you see your mate? Come on, do it. But because nobody from Abraham... If you see the way God reports the life, the life of Abraham, Sarah... You will see that he judged them from his own standard. Abraham who did not believe God. Abraham believed God. When the gospel was preached to him. But there was a time he doubted. And he went into Hagar. And that's how Ishmael was born. And then we now have our half brothers. Do you understand what I mean? Sarah laughed, spited the prophecy. And God and the angel said to Abraham, Your wife laughed. She said, Me, laugh. How? If you read what Hebrews said about Sarah, that Sarah Kai, the way he put it, as if Sarah was pure. Because when God is giving his narrative about you from the place of righteousness, he doesn't count your sins. It doesn't count your sins. It's a pastor, you don't know where I'm coming from. You don't know where Jesus is coming from. <laughs> Praise God. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So you see this conversation of Jesus died on the cross for me. Let it mean something to you. Let it mean something to you. At that point you realize... That you are the one who should have died. But somebody else came, took your place. And all you do to be righteous is put your faith in that one. Hallelujah. So say with me, I'm righteous in Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to be closing now. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. He says, for the sin of this one man, Adam, um, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What's the word before righteousness there? Gift of, right? So that tells you that righteousness is a what? It's a gift. Righteousness is not what you work for. We don't work to be righteous. We have the gift of righteousness. 
Can we thank God for in 10 seconds for giving us the gift of righteousness? The gift, something you could never get by yourself. The gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness. For he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In the name of Jesus, look at me everybody. Do you, do you know what this message should put in your spirit? From now be righteousness conscious. Because there's no point teaching this if after you leave this place you still feel like you are a sinner. You know, Pastor, I'm not really the church type of person. I'm not really the church guy. Or not really the church lady. Look, you are righteous. It's a gift. Pastor doesn't have that over you. The same righteousness I have is the same righteousness you have. It is the righteousness of God that you have. So this doesn't make you look at somebody and spite the person. Can I ask you a question, everybody? How do you correct? How do you? Let me not even use the word correct. How do you talk to somebody who has made a mistake and you know about it? You know, some of us have that "I am better than you" mindset, just because you found out the person's flaws or you found out the person's mistake. The Bible says, let him who is rescuing one do so in love. Because that thing that drowned that person, if you are not careful, can also drown you. There was a day in school, I had this holier-than-thou mindset. God taught me lessons well. The same thing I was condemning somebody of doing, the next week I did it. That was when the Holy Spirit taught me that this thing is not a function of I am strong. It's not a function of I. Let him who stands takes heed lest he falls. So if you see somebody who has fallen, overtaken in a fault, and you are speaking with the person, do it in the spirit of love, meekness. Because you are not better than that person. Thank you, Jesus. It removes that mindset of I better pass my neighbor from you. Glory to God. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. And for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj twitter.com slash standpointabj instagram.com slash standpointabj and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj